Thanks for downloading The Bike Show. You can follow The Bike Show on Twitter at The Bike Show and there's a Bike Show Facebook page at facebook.com slash The Bike Show. Hi, this is Brent Barber, the founding director of the Bicycle Film Festival and this is Resonance FM. Ride on until the break of dawn because you don't stop. Uh -uh. The earth was quiet. That moment the angel sang. The hour was midnight. The song was old, but glorious, because angels sang it in the moment they came near the earth to touch harps and sing a song. Their song was of peace, peace to cover the earth, of goodwill to change the hearts of men. There is no end to the song the angels sang. It only stops for a man who stops listening. But the song is always there, above the mingling tongues of nations and ideas. The song remains in spite of hate and pain and death. But if there could be one moment of silence in a life. One moment of silence to hear the song of peace through the manger boy. The heart of man could change from man, tired, lonely, twisted by the churning hours of life, to man, rested, quiet, Welcome to The Bike Show on Resonance FM. This is a special podcast edition uh, during our season break, coming from the Vulpine Christmas Fete, which is uh, going on all around me. 
um, down here at the Ballam Bowls Club in uh, London's Ballam district. Everyone seems to be having a good time and I've just actually walked right in the door and immediately on my left are a load of very squashy, comfortable leather sofas and chairs and a pile of extremely desirable magazines. This is, of course, the Ride Journal, who have been on the bike show before. And uh, it's very nice uh, to see you down here, Andrew. Lovely to see you again. Tell us what it is that we're looking at here. For anyone in the unlikely event that anyone who's listening doesn't know what the Ride Journal is all about. Well, the journal's really a collection of personal stories, all kinds of riders, all kinds of bikes, anywhere in the world. You know, you 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 know, you could turn the page. You'll have, you know, one page you'll be reading about a um, a free rider on the North Shore. The next, somebody who's training down on a track. The next, you know, a a, a road pro. You know, everything in together with a mix of photography and illustration that hopefully will inspire people to get out on their bike and ride and. Um, yeah, just share the passion that other riders have for, for riding whatever kind of bikes they're riding. Phil and I have been, you know, riding all kinds of bikes for years and, and we didn't really feel like that there was a, um, a magazine that was catering for all kinds of riders. You know, you had great road magazines, you had great mountain biking magazines, great BMX magazines. But, you know, we knew a lot of people, you know, we were riding with and the kind of riding that we were doing one weekend would be mountain biking. The next we'd want to go down to Hearn Hill on the track. The next maybe we'll get a long road ride in. And we thought, wouldn't it be great to put something together which, you know, had personal tales, the passion of people who were doing all kinds of riding like we were, you know, something that wasn't, you know, catering for a niche. And we wanted something without race results, without talking about heart rate monitors or, or where you should ride or what you should ride, just people's, you know, people's stories about riding and, um, and you know, nice art, you know, illustration and photography to show that off. So we thought, let's just do it, you know, for ourselves. And, and, and it seems to have really struck a chord with people. And what do you think it takes to tell a good story for the ride? If someone's thinking, this just sounds like the kind of magazine that I might actually like to write for, having read it. Because yeah. you, you do take contributions from, you're not just commissioning famous people to write things are you no 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 you know phil fields you know all these all these emails and uh, contributions and um we're really happy to hear from anybody who can t- you know tell a tale and and it is enthusiast writing and it's you know we want to have that you know simple raw passion of people who love to be on their bikes and um yeah if they've got a tale then get them to get in touch you know we like things obviously with the journal that are you know we, we're not looking for stats and we're not you know we're not looking for a race report. We, we want to hear heartfelt tales, soulful tales that, you know, really strike a chord. And when people come back to us and they say, oh, man, I just I read that. I read the journal. I sat down with the journal and I just wanted to get out and ride my bike. That's the best praise for us, you know, and, and we love that. And so tell us about the forthcoming issue. Yeah, we've got issue. Issue seven is going to come out in the new year. You know, we just about sold out on issue six. And um, so we like to sell out of every issue before the next one comes along. And so we're just about sold out of issue six. And um, January, I think, issue seven will come along. The same mix of, of you know, photography, illustration, rider stories. Um, we've got a few slightly longer pieces. We wanted to mix it up for the next issue. But, you know, we just, you know, as we've gone along, every issue has, like, a big mix. And we hope to just, you know, it's a little bit more polished on the writing, tighter on the art, the quality of the illustration of photography, every issue, just a little up, a little notch, you know. Next one's going to be 192 pages, which we kind of topped out at because 
um, the postage cost becomes so much, you know, like the thicker and thicker we get it, we've kind of like had to sort of, you know, stop at that. But yeah, it should be a good one. And are you venturing into the e-book world? Will there be an e-edition? Well, you know, we have talked about that and, it, you know, we, 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 what I do, you know, nine to five for my day job you know I'm, I'm i'm publishing on the ipad and kindle fire and all those tablets but you know for the Roy journal it's all about like sitting down the smell of the paper you know the feel as you said of the stock and just settling people down getting in a nice you know a nice ale or a cup of coffee and, and the reading experience is for this is very papery you know bicycle bags for the female city commuter. So how long have you been doing that? Um, we launched earlier this year. So, so pretty new. Yeah, pretty new, kind of started about April time. And so you must have thought that this kind of thing that you're making wasn't being made by anybody else, no. otherwise you wouldn't have got in there. So what was, what's the kind of gap that, that you were looking to fill? Um, well, I used to cycle to my nine to five job um, in the city and I couldn't find a bag that covered the need of looking smart at work um, and it was also waterproof and safe and secure to my body while I was cycling um, and I was putting my handbag in my rucksack um, and I just thought this seems ridiculous why can't I find anything that that covers those I bought myself a career bag which is great it did all the things I needed but how about a rack and a, and a bungee? Uh, a, a what? A, a bike, a rack uh, and a bungee. I, like, I had quite a like sleek bike and I didn't... I just wanted an excuse for a new handbag, really. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I bought a courier bag, which was great, but I can wear it to work. Cause it was, well, I can wear it to a meeting. Um, and, yeah, I just needed an excuse for more handbags, really. As so, most girls do. <laughs> so then what did you do? Um... I made some myself at home uh, on my kitchen table with scrap fabric um, and it kind of just uh, carried on tweaking it myself, trialling them on my way to work and just sort of seeing if this was a good idea or not Um, and lots of my friends were quite encouraging Um, and then I got made redundant from my job and I thought actually... So that made the decision for you? That made the decision. I spent a long time at work daydreaming about doing it 
Um, and then all of a sudden I was confronted with this opportunity and I haven't looked back. <laughs> so did you come from a sort of background in making stuff? Yeah, I had a design background. So I used to be a women's wear designer um, and I've done that for eight years or so. I did a fashion degree at uni. So you know your way around a, a needle and thread? I know um, my way around a sewing machine um, and I have plenty of handbags. So I kind of just combined the two and filled in the gaps with learning. So are you wearing one of your own right now? Do you want to, do you want to talk us through it? So, yeah. Um, it's leather, uh, which has been treated with a waterproof coating, so it's kind of showerproof. Um, there's holes cut into the leather, which is backed with reflective material. So it kind of looks a bit like, um, you know, like a brogued shoe. So it's got quite a detailed design. Yeah, you know what it looks like to me? It looks like those um, hill climb yeah. weight watching cyclists who drill out every part of their their brakes with little holes at their home drill to make yeah. it just that little bit lighter yeah yeah in fact all those classic there i think there's a classic cycling shoe the sort of leather shoe that's got a lot of holes well, in as well and so the water um, drains through so it doesn't keep your foot sogging anyway that's great so that's a, that's a bit of um design heritage there from the uh, the golden days thank you yeah. good start um yeah so i've tried to kind of I spent a long time trying to incorporate a reflective safety feature into a fashionable design rather than the reflective aspect sort of being a bit clunky and heavy and sort of last minute addition last minute add-on so I, I spent a long time trying to integrate it into a, a stylish design and you've got, you've got, some, you've got a tassel here got a tassel. Sort of, that is a scotch-like tassel that's also reflective um, and it means I can get into the pocket and take my keys and my phone out without actually removing the bag which is quite handy when you're cycling um, and it's also got this extra strap which is an anti-swing strap um, which you can add on and it stops the bag swinging forwards while you're cycling um, and then you can take that off and use it just as a normal handbag once you're off your bike so how is it going how many have you made how many have you sold um I've, i'm on to my second batch of production now so it's growing so that sounds like you're making them yourself um, i make the accessories myself so i've also got um apart from the reflective key rings i've also got reflective handlebar tape which is made in a similar way so it's got holes um and then reflective behind it um and i've also got puncture repair kits which double as a purse or like a clutch bag if you're going out in the evening. Uh, so I make all of those myself by hand. Um, so where are, the, where are the bags made? The bags I cut out myself and then I've got a factory in East London that makes them. Do you get the sense that women who ride bikes are spending more money on I... bikey stuff? Because traditionally I think women that have ridden bikes have been quite... sort of looked at it as a sort of utilitarian thing. You just I just get on the bike and go whereas it's been men who've been slightly uh, uh, occupied by sort of spending the money and having this rare thing or this new thing and and, and women take a much more I don't know maybe a more reasonable kind of a less obsessive approach Um, Um, or do you you think that that women are are getting as bad as the men in terms of wanting to have have really beautiful looking cool stuff I think it might start to get that way I think um, I think most girls and guys as well you, once you appreciate something and you understand what, what it means and what you can gain from it, you, you get really passionate about it. And it's the same with 
Like most girls like accessories, they like nice shoes, they like nice handbags. Um, and I think once I found once I started riding my bike, I had to think slightly about what I was wearing, how things didn't quite work that I'd never thought about before, especially the waterproof aspect and the reflective aspect. Um, so it kind of makes you appreciate things that are made properly and functional. And I think, as I guess with shopping, we've got quite used to throwaway fashion that doesn't really mean anything. And I think cycling makes you appreciate a good quality product that is made well, that actually functions as well as it looks nice as well. So I think the whole fashion and cycling thing kind of goes quite hand in hand, really. I'm Jamie from Fresh Tribe. This is our second Vulpine show. Really enjoyed the first one. Really like the atmosphere. It's a, you know, it feels a bit like a, a kind of a close knit community, I guess, with all the uh, all the people that are here, the brands that are here. Having the, the cycle art is a nice touch as well. Just here to show off all our fellow Owen stuff. I should probably describe for the purposes of radio. You you have probably the uh, the shiniest stool. <laughs> Um, it's certainly in this in this room, and it's lots of um, lovely components, uh, bottle cages, uh, racks, rims, bells, handlebars, all very nice it stuff is, that kind is. of harks back to a different era, even though it's all modern stuff. It's not like a jumble, but it, it does take the best of a classic era of, yeah. of manufacturing, right? I mean, the, the, the Velo Orange items, they, you know, they, they're inspired. I mean, that's, that's the reason for them being there. The, the Chris who runs Velo Orange, he, you know, he collected old French constructor bikes, kind of got fed up of paying, you know, expensive prices for items that would just fail, you know, because they're so old and so fragile. So he started making some stuff for, him, for, for himself and a few friends and realised that, you know, likewise... There's more people out there who are interested in that kind of stuff. So, I mean, they they kind of plug the gaps. You won't really find, you know, VO only makes stuff that nobody else makes, really, or something that can be improved on. They won't just make it for the sake of making it. But the majority of it is inspired by that, that kind of period of cycling. That. And so you are VO's representative in the UK we kind are, of thing? Yeah, we, we, I mean, we sell all the stuff ourselves online as well, but we distribute through the UK and Europe as well. So we supply shops, frame builders, you know, everybody like that really. I mean, there's a few there's a few bikes here that have got Velo Orange stuff on that we've supplied to. It's, uh, you know, I think they're, they're quite 
complementary items for, for frame builds, really, because there's, there's nothing garish about them. There's no crazy logos or bright graphics or anything. It is very shiny. Um, but yeah, but nothing to distract away from, from anything that's on frame. Because I find it quite interesting the way in which we've gone to this sort of anodized world or, or black painted world. And what is the reason for everything being painted black now rather than this lovely, lustrous, shiny silver? I'm a retro mountain biker at heart, so you know I enjoyed all. So you're the... suffering it really badly because it all came from mountain biking, well, all that black stuff, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of try to steer clear of the black stuff, but I mean, I, you know, things like the, you know, the turquoise blue, the the 3DV violet, you know, that kind of bright stuff. That's all the stuff that I used to love. I mean, you know, and it's all right in moderation I guess <laughs> you know I think that's that's the way you got to look at things silver's fine pretty complimentary pretty subtle anything I mean black's fine as well but I heard that it was because it was cheaper to paint something than to polish it is there, that is that the basic there, economics of it there may be some truth in that but you've got to question why why would you want to compromise on something on the, the appearance of something that is just for a small saving in cost really the other explanation that's been put forward is that people like to have black things because it goes with their black carbon idea that, that it's sort of lightweight carbon stuff when it's actually actually metal but, uh, but, but silvery metal looks like oh god that's heavy on my, my I've got this carbon bike why would I want this metal well, stuff on it I mean there are a lot of builds around at the moment that are all black given like a kind of stealth feel um, black rims black reels black spokes and I think what you're touching on is, is is like a fashion thing more than anything else it's you know and all that like looks pretty cool and pretty stealthy but I don't know I like to see my components I like to see all my individual bits I mean that's partly why we did this Ibis build really I mean we built this this old 90s Ibis to show off a set of LR orange shiny brakes but you know, everything on there, it's all from the 90s, it's all got that kind of, well, that kind of certain something, that anodized, and I've got gold chain rings on there, polished, red seat clamp. You know, I like that stuff to stand out. I, I, I don't see why you'd want to have, cover your bike with a load of black stuff and not really, it looks a bit nondescript, really. I don't know. That's just my opinion, of course, but, you know, that's, I guess that's the way it is. And so where do you stand on stems <laughs> and and the uh, the advantages of the A-head stem compared to the aesthetic beauty, which is, you know, <laughs> incontrovertible of the uh, of the quill stem. I mean, uh, maybe as a as an ex-retro mountain biker, you're you're kind of you're coming with some intellectual baggage there. I've I've only just got rid of my fear of A-head stems. I still don't really trust them. I I prefer the kind of solid feel of a of a quill stem to an A-head stem. Maybe, do you like the look of them? What, an A-head stem or a yeah, quill stem? Yeah, A-head stem. Um, I, mean, I think they're pig ugly. Well, they are. I mean, I can understand the ease of use. If you've got a, a front-loading clamp, fine, stop your bars around or whatever, but I prefer a quill stem. I, I, that, 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 yeah, that's where I stand on the matter. I prefer a quill stem to an A-head stem. Very good. You can join the club. So finally, the name. Fresh Tribe. <laughs> Come on. Well, give us the explanation. What, what a strange name for a, a company selling high-end bicycle components there's there's no there isn't really an explanation for it it's it's just a name that um, my brother paul had he'd always used the name fresh stripe for you know any kind of product any you know anything he was doing it was always something to do with fresh stripe 
And he he started selling. Do you come from a family of butchers? <laughs> I wish I did. I don't, unfortunately. No. You got the apron on. I've, I have got the apron. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm a charlatan butcher, I guess. But but I mean, the, the name literally. It, it. I think we didn't realise, or rather, Paul didn't realise at the time that selling these bike bits in his spare time five or six years ago that it was going to take off and the names just stuck it wouldn't be called fresh strike bikes i don't think if uh, if we'd actually thought about it and sat down and gone we're going to do a bike shop or a bike company this is what we'll call it it just that was what it was at the time and it stayed like that so there wasn't an awful lot of money spent on the branding consultants <laughs> no i can't say there was no no Steph, we've recently launched a website called Pannier for travelling cyclists. Uh, the idea behind it is an easy to use mapping based resource for cyclists to find places to stay and rest along major routes. And as we grow eventually along all of the UK events. Um, so, what inspired you to uh, start Pannier? Because I always find that cycle touring, which is my favourite bit of the cycling world, is the only bit that hasn't had a good thick lick of the cool brush. When in fact, it is actually probably the best bit of cycling because you're not about to be run over by a HGV. You're not, you know, dying from lactic buildup on some velodrome. You know, you're actually just out there seeing beautiful landscapes and having a nice time. We did uh, Land's End John O'Groats a couple of years ago and that being soaked halfway up the country, uh, pretty stuck really. Uh, that, that kind of inspired me to think of a kind of resource for cyclists. I then got Dave involved, who's next to me, who helped me with a lot of the creative and web content, to then try and merge it into a brand that was, as you say, made the touring side kind of cool, because it hasn't had that lick. There's a lot of city, fixy, cool blogs happening, but... We, we quite like the idea of trying to focus on the, the touring, which we love. The idea of staying away with your bike is simple, it's free, not, it's, it's not free cost-wise, but gives you a freedom that we love. Um, hopefully, with our 
photo-based homepage, an article-based homepage, inspiring others to try and get away with their bike. So back in the 1870s, when people first started cycle touring, there was the Cyclist Touring Club was established, and one of the things that they did was they put great big cast-iron wheels on the side of pubs and inns and things like that. I don't know, you've probably seen them around. Um, why do you think something new is needed what you know the, the cyclist touring club isn't that what it exists to do to provide this kind of information do, do you feel that they weren't, weren't actually uh, doing what they used to do in the 1870s so well anymore i think we wanted to just provide a sort of a slightly different angle on it you know we like you say before we we felt that cycle touring was um you know really in need of a lick of the cool brush like you said and um we just sort of we looked at city cycling and road cycling, which is enjoying a bit of a renaissance, specifically post Olympics, and just thought, why has no one sort of touched the the uh, touring side of things? And and we really sort of thought, well, we can make it look really glamorous as well. Uh, and and I think we've done that with our blog. We sort of you know tried to tie it with the same brushes, the sort of fixie scene, the street riding and road racing scene. So uh, you know, hopefully that'll be the same sort of. So sort of thing for Pania, I don't know. So presumably there are barriers to people going cycle touring because pe- you know people aren't doing it. And what do you think those barriers are? And, and how does what you're doing help them to overcome that and think, hey, that might be something that's for me? I think currently with all the technology out there, we're slowly alleviating the what if something bad happens factor, which I think a lot of people worry about, especially travelling away from home. If you're starting out from home and then kind of staying away for a couple of days it might not be an issue but when you're traveling to far off unknown places people start to get the what happens if i break a spoke and there's nowhere around so slowly but surely we hope to we hope to use technology to kind of alleviate that what if factor i don't think that's necessarily a good thing but hopefully it'll encourage more people to go and do it i also think one of the key things we'd like to put in is things like weather profiles for times of the year so when you're sort of cycling in you know, unknown territories, you'd like to know roughly what the weather might be like in a couple of days' time so you can avoid being stuck in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, well, good luck with that in the British Isles because I think we, you know, we <laughs> often, often get four seasons in one day, don't we? <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. But you know, who knows, we might even be able to get it down to the, you know, sort of a live preview of uh, every hour of the day with any luck. But it's all to come. <laughs> and so you've got a map here. Um, is this map showing the kind of classic touring routes that you cover on your on your site yeah that, that this is showing the routes that we've covered so far so we've uh, covered a couple of land center john groves routes the east and west coast ones uh, the hadrian cycleway uh, and the way of the roses which we've which are covered um what we were sort of hoping is that people would uh sort of add their routes that they'd like to see on the on the place we've got a little bit of a sort of shortfall of routes on the east coast of england which we'd like to fill up in the next couple of months so we're just asking for a few people's opinions on where we should go next or where we should head basically and so the little pins there or are those places where you might stay and and, and how does a bed and breakfast or a pub or whatever get listed on Panya do you go out and inspect them yourselves and give them a rating and you know are you like the Michelin guide for cyclists so in order order to get the volume we've got about 550 so far Um, we're working really hard to get much more on Uh, we we give everyone a short phone interview to make sure that they're happy uh, firstly to go on the website and secondly to make sure they've got all the facilities that they need so we'll ask them whether they've got good uh, secure cycle storage 
um, and whether they've got the facilities to wash their bikes, uh, to wash their gear as well uh, when they get there. And then if they're generally friendly, then, you know, towards cyclists, basically. So once we're happy about that, we can, you know, we're happy to put them on the site, basically. Especially in the last year, a lot of people we've spoken to have slowly starting to gear towards towards cyclists because they really like, especially if people are actually on routes what I found why I started Panniers having spoken to people along the Land's End on a groups who really weren't benefiting from the thousands of people who do cycle the route each year so so people are cottoning on to the cycling pound which you know is in evidence all around us isn't it really? yeah the cycling pound yeah one of the features we hope to get is for, to cater for people with different budgets as well we understand people want cycle travel with the luxury factor which at the moment, it might not be evident, but we'd like to hopefully cater for that, as well as the, uh, not the budget, but the campers or the, white, the, the youth hostel, the cost-effective solution, which <laughs> hundreds of people still do, and what I did when I went as well. All right, so what's the website? The website's called Pannier, and you can find us at www.pannier.cc. Thank hey. you very much. Thanks, Jack. Is anybody out there? Is this on? Is this mic on? Is this thing on? Cause I got something to say. I wanna tell you a little bit of, a little bit about Christmas time to me. Yeah. Yeah. It was a night before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring. Not even a mouse. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, look up. Sam's got a big old mouse. Hi, I'm Dan, uh, Dan Marsh. I work with uh, Marshmallow Cycling, uh, which is uh, a company based in Mallorca. We're basically luxury cycling holidays, so we try and make ourselves a little bit different to a week's training camp. We're four nights, uh, stay in a wonderful hotel uh, in a beautiful harbour, and we do a bit of cycling into the hills. So Mallorca is a popular place, as you said, for training camps from the, the very top levels of cycling right down to, you know... Yeah, wannabe uh, yeah. road road races, isn't it? Yeah, most definitely. Um, team Sky are based out there. Um, a lot of the other pro teams, Saxa Bank, etc., will be out there in January, early February. And as I say, Sky come back throughout the year. Team GB spend a lot of time out there. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, why why have they all chosen it? I mean, obviously, you know, it's not just for the wildflowers and the fine Spanish wines. Um, it's a good combination of roads, so you can do uh, 160, 170k on the flat, or if you want to go up to do some hill climbing, you can do hill climbing. It's not evil, so the average percentage is probably around about 5 or 6%, uh, so it's not going to kill you. Um, the climate's great, the quality of the roads are good, and from an access point of view, flights, they're, they're pretty good. 80% of the flights in are budget airlines, so you're going to get a good deal. So how long have you been uh, running these things and how's it, how's it going right now? Yeah, um, we're just over a year, year and a half. We're into our third uh, season as such. And uh, actually one interesting thing is we started up was we very much looked at um, couples coming out. Well, traditionally cycling has been more male-orientated than female-orientated. Uh, and what we've done is we've put a package together which means that couples can come out, two or three couples can come out with cyclists or non-cyclists. Uh, and that's gone down really well. And so do people bring 
their own bikes or do you yeah. kit them out with stuff you know how does it work uh, totally up to them the individual really um, the price wise is about the same so if you want to bring your own bike you're not going to uh, save any money uh, but I think if you're going to go out on roads that um, are a bit challenging then it's nice to be on your own bike we provide a mechanic uh, to put your bike together if you need to and he'll work on your bike throughout the three or four days you're with us so if you've got any niggling problems with your bike that you haven't got around to fixing he'll have a look at them and try and fix them so, so talk us through a, uh, a typical day uh, a perfect day on one of your um, holidays yeah. you know from the moment that your eyes first open lying on some presumably high-grade Egyptian yeah. cotton pillow yes um, the, the hotel is fab uh, it's uh, run by my sister-in-law a Swedish family uh, so there's a little bit of style to it um, the breakfast is huge it overlooks the, the port um, and there's a variety of different food. I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. A typical Swedish breakfast. Um, and then we kind of head out, really, around about 9, 9.30. Um, and we'll cycle for around about five, six hours. We tend to be back by three. Um, the type of cycling we do is perfect for people that are relatively new to cycling. So it's not intimidating. Um, people that are maybe one or two years into cycling, about to do the first sportif, uh, it's absolutely perfect. We have um, a vehicle that supports us so you can put any extra clothing in. Um, we have food, water, all the things you'd expect on there. We have two spare bikes, a guy's bike and a girl's bike. So if you've got any problems that we can't fix immediately, we'll give you that bike and then off you go. We stop a few times for coffees and bits and bobs. We stop for photos. You know, if you want to take a photo, some lovely views, just take a photo. Um, we're back for about three o'clock and then we have, um, there's no kind of, big team dinners or anything at um, about four o'clock you sit and if you're with a couple and you want to sit you just sit and eat together uh, it's a three-course meal with wine um, from the bistro and a lot of people actually just sit there and the afternoon kind of goes and you have a few glasses of wine and there's plenty to do so and then you end up going to bed so it's it's very different from a kind of training camp scenario what are the traditional Mallorcan dishes what is Mallorcan cuisine at its uh, pinnacle uh, they very, very traditional Mallorquin food is probably better in the winter than the summer. Winter is all sorts of different types of soups. You'll find pasta in there, maybe potato, vegetables, etc. So quite stodgy soups. Uh, they love their lamb. Uh, huge amount of lamb out there. Um, variety of different ways. Fish is big. Uh, and then the normal tapas. So what you would expect from, uh, from Spanish food. And what is the best time of year to go if you're a wildflower lover? Because, uh, you know, that's one of the nice things about the Mediterranean, particularly yeah. in the early part of the summer, is you get these amazing displays of wildflowers. And if you go out to the Med in the traditional British summertime, yeah. sort of holiday time in the, in the summer holidays, that's all gone by yeah. then. It's like yeah. burnt brown earth. But it's very green, isn't it, in the early part of the year? It's amazing how it, it just, it's almost like a switch. It's within two weeks, it just suddenly changes. Uh, and that's autumn and spring. One of the fabulous times to go out is when the blossom is out, which is generally around about February time. Um, and that's this, Mallorca's two big things they have is um, almonds and uh, olives. And when the almond blossom is out, it is wonderful, absolutely wonderful. You see it when you're cycling around. And so how much is a trip for a, a couple of people who want to head out to cycle around Mallorca for four days is it four, four yeah, days of cycling four, so six yeah. days probably including the travel no, and all that. it's um 
It's a four-night holiday. Uh, it's three days of uh, cycling uh, or hiking or spa, depending if you're not on the bike. Uh, and the prices are 950 euros. Uh, so, you know, it's not cheap, but then the people that have been on it just think it's fantastic. So. My name is Chris, and I'm the curator and director of Art Crank UK. Art Crank, you guys do art about bikes and organised shows and stuff like that. How long have you been doing that? Well, I've been doing Art Crank here in London for three years, and uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, we do art about bikes, but I also think we do art about community. So we work off of the cycling community, we work off of the art community, and we really just try to draw in the sort of people that don't really get noticed as much as they should. Do you think there's a big overlap between people who ride bikes and people who make art? Absolutely. The bicycle is, is a wonderful piece of design. It's a fantastic piece of engineering. If you look back through the history of bicycles, it's basically been on the crest of, of engineering development since it was started. So I think that you really can't separate the bicycle from art. I don't think you can separate the bicycle from, from design or engineering. I think it, it has to go together. And how about the emotional side of things? Because, yeah, sure, it's a great design, and, it's, and there are a lot of designers who might appreciate it, but... Do you think there's something about the artistic, creative sensibility that means that the bicycle is going to be the, uh, the mode of transportation of choice? I believe so. I mean, I think it's very personal as well. You can do so many things with a bicycle that you could never do with an automobile or a train. I mean, you can make it your own mode of transportation. You can reflect yourself in the bicycle so much that when you show up to a pub or a coffee shop or whatever people can identify the fact that you're there by your bicycle. I think it, it opens up a different area of the mind, essentially. I mean, you're, you're taking part in this physical activity, but it, it, it frees your mind in so many ways. I mean, um, you know, I also have raced bicycles, and, and you, you find your brain doing really funny things when you're in the middle of a race. And, you know, likewise, if you're, if you're climbing up a hill in the middle of nowhere or, you know, riding through a field, um, you notice the beauty around you. You notice the wonderful, you know, the air rushing by, you know, um, pushing your hair to the side and, and coming across your face and, you know, the, the sensations there. I think there's no way that you can't engage your brain in, in a fantastic way. So tell us a little bit about the nuts and bolts of Art Crank, because you're not, you're not a gallery, kind of. You are kind of a gallery, but you don't have a, 
a physical place where you always are, but you put on shows, right? Do you have a sort of stable of artists who you've um, you found who you sort of represent? Is that kind of how it works? Um, yes, I would say it's a bit of both. I mean, we, we have strong artists that continue to come back. And, of course, as, as an organizer, that makes me feel wonderful. That, you know, they, they don't just want to do it once. They want to do it thrice, you know. Um, but uh, the important thing is we, we draw on the community. So we generally just put a call out. And if you want to be involved, then, then you know, we'll, we'll bring you in. Um, unfortunately, of course, we do have to, to cut the line at some point. So not everyone can get in. But um, this show depends on people that can do great work and people that are um, really passionate about not only bicycles, but about creating something different. And uh, quite honestly, our crank wouldn't be what it is without the people that want to put something in. who is the master of ceremonies at the fete has, uh, has cornered me I was intending to corner him but he's just whipped out a, uh, a camera to uh, intimidate me Nick how's it going Nick Nick this is Nick Hussey who is uh, founder of the Vulpine and thus founder of the Vulpine fete thank you very much Jack. Um, you're asking me when I've just been presented with an enormous can of Red Bull I'm starting to feel a bit shaky and the reason I created the fate is because I felt like cycling in all its different forms wasn't being uh, catered for and so I wanted something that was fun because cycling is fun you know it's not people spitting up into their groups and their cliques and their arms folded and shouting at everyone else which seems to have happened in the past and it's getting much much better and I hope that this helps you will no, find no cliques on the bike show, Nick, rest assured. It's, it's always difficult to have fun at one's own party, isn't it? I mean, that's basically what it comes down yeah. to. Is it's very difficult. You can throw the greatest party, but you never actually have a good time. Have you, have you managed to have a good time? Uh, I have, because I, I've met lots of people that I haven't seen for a long time um, and been sort of pulled from pillar to post, so, which, is, which is very, very nice. Um, and met lots of people... On, uh, from Twitter and people come up to you and they go hello it's Paul and I go hello Paul and they go sorry it's um, Doodle Flibbit from Twitter and I go oh right sorry okay and um, and that, that's great you know and you see people in the flesh and people tell you about that you know how they've tried on your jacket etc and you know and then my sister has taken a photo of me just now my wife's over there and she's heavily, heavily pregnant with the dog or at least she was a second ago and so yeah it's really really good fun so uh, I'm just um, I'm just looking forward to a Chinese takeaway in bed at the moment. So um, how's the uh, how's the Volpine stuff going down? Have you had your first bad review yet? Because you're getting an awful lot of very good reviews, and uh, you'd, you'd think there would be at least one contrarian reviewer who would say this thing's terrible. Or has it all been it's tailwinds all the way? It's um it's really really freaking me out in the. 
you know, you when you set something up, you look at what you know is around on the ether, and um, and you put something out there, and obviously it's my sort of creation. So you're terrified about what people are going to think about it. And um, the reviews, we have not had a single bad review. Um, we had a seven out of ten in Cyclosport for one garment, and I was gutted, absolutely gutted. But it was still a good review. That's the worst we've had. Everything else has been incredible, and the press we've had is is unbelievable. I don't want this big sort of big back slapping. Best, but if you try hard enough, basically the reason is if you try hard enough and you spend enough time on something, the rewards should, should come back. So, yeah, not even forums, not even forums hacking off. And forums are the first place where people have a go at you. Well, Nick, congratulations. Thanks for bringing the Vulpine Cycling Fate to Ballum in this um, terrific venue of the Ballum Bowls Club. Tell me when Jesus Oh, no. November, it was the 25th day of 